Let's pray. Yeah, thank you very much, Jonathan and family. <laughs> it's good to be here again, and uh, it's always a joy to come and share with you. We have the passage in front of us this morning, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read it first. Matthew chapter 20, verse uh, 17. And uh, these are the, uh, the final journey before the Lord was crucified. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called to them. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them. And touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Lovely passage. It's always good to dive into the Gospels and uh, just see what the Lord was doing when he was here. And thinking about those disciples as Jonathan was taking us through the list a little earlier, isn't it wonderful with the exception of one of them, we'll be meeting them one day. We'll be able to talk to them. And uh, we'll be able to share with them uh, when we get to eternity together. But uh, here the, Matthew tells us at the beginning of this passage that Jesus was going, going up to Jerusalem. I just want to dwell on that little thought a moment. They were going up to Jerusalem because although 
It, it was a very physical activity at that time. They were going to Jerusalem to the festival, and that's where Jesus was going to be crucified. Yet there's a deeper symbolism here that I want to just draw out a moment. Uh, and uh, they were on a journey to a destiny with a very specific purpose. And it was the most amazing purpose in the history of this world when Jesus was going to be crucified to bring us redemption, to bring us salvation, to bring us peace with God. And so it wasn't any ordinary journey up to Jerusalem, a journey that they'd made many times before. But this Jerusalem was a destiny. It was a pathway appointed by God. Of course, this wasn't the only time that Scripture points uh, to uh, people going up to Jerusalem uh, with a definite purpose. In Acts 20, verse 22, I'll just quote it to you. We'll keep the noise outside. <laughs> uh, for those that may be listening on the recording, there's uh, some noise next door and we're just shutting the windows. Uh, Paul, after his third missionary journey, he says this in Acts 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Again, a moment of destiny, a journey in God's purposes to a place which has a profound implication for us all. With Paul, when he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested, caused a riot, and he was never a free man again as far as we know. Jerusalem, one of the great destinations in Scripture. And uh, what a central part Jerusalem plays in the purposes of God. The city of peace, that's the literal meaning of Jerusalem. The city of God, the city of destiny. And when the Lord comes back again to rule and to reign, he's going to reign in Jerusalem. And the word of the Lord will go out from Jerusalem, from Mount Zion. And the whole world, as we've sung this morning already, will look up to him. Every eye will see him, every knee will bow, and he'll be in Jerusalem. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to New York, the United Nations. <laughs> he's not coming back to Rome. He certainly won't be coming back to London. He'll be coming back to Jerusalem. And uh, <clears throat> I, I just want to take the symbolism a little bit further this morning. In a sense, we're all on our journey to Jerusalem. We're going to be part of the new Jerusalem. But in, in, the, in the sense that Jerusalem is a place of destiny, it's a place of the city of God where God's purposes lie, as they were for Jesus, as they were for Paul, I wonder where our destiny is this morning at, in a more local level. Have we got a Jerusalem we're looking towards? It may be a, a, a particular job in our, fa in our work or in our family or in our church. A goal, a destiny, somewhere where we're moving on this morning. A Jerusalem, if you like, a place where God is directing us. And it may just be that as we wait before the Lord, we know that we're being called into a certain area of ministry or activity or decision at Jerusalem. So I just want to draw that parallel. They were on a journey with an enormous implication, with a tremendous sense of purpose and destiny and uh, 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 we can relate to that as well. We may, all of us, be waiting for the Lord's return. In the meantime, it may be that the Lord has given us something else to occupy our minds, and we're on that journey this morning. And in the context 
of going on that pathway, what is God saying to us? And this morning we're going to see from this passage four little things that Jesus would say to us on the journey to our Jerusalem, to our destiny, to the place where the Lord wants us to be uh, in, in, our, uh, in our Christian walk. And so, uh, first of all, we see from verses 17 to 19 that we must listen while we're on our journey. We read there that Jesus took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They'll condemn me to death. I'll, I'll, I'll be turned over to the Gentiles. I'll be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, and by the way, that isn't the third day. It's at the conclusion of the third day. The English translation hasn't come across so well. Uh, it's on the conclusion of the third day. Jesus, he said, I will be raised again. The Lord is telling them. He's explaining exactly what will be entailed in the Jerusalem that they're heading towards this time. It's not the first time he'd uh, spoken to them like this. Two or three chapters earlier, Matthew 16, when Jesus said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? He'd earlier said, who do people say that I am? Uh, But the Lord then turned to his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, we believe you're the Christ. And in Matthew 16, he said, it, it goes on to say that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. He must be killed on the third day be raised to life. He said it to them again. We, record it, uh, we have it recorded in chapter 17. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day we're raised again. And the disciples were filled with grief. So at least three occasions the Lord says, this is what's going to happen to me. Did they believe him? Were they listening? They were still totally shocked with the events that happened in Jerusalem when they got there. They weren't listening to what the Lord was telling them. And he was telling them over and over again. In Matthew also, and uh, at uh, the resurrection morning, when the women, first of all, went down to the tomb and they saw the angel, the angel uh, said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. So in other words, they were not listening. They were all going along, following Jesus with their own preconceptions, with their own agendas. They thought, uh, yeah, they they thought he was the Christ, but they thought that the Messiah was going to bring about the, the whole worldwide change, the redemption of everything straight away. And yet it wasn't to be, and he was explaining as he finally had to explain yet again to the two on the road to, Demar- uh, to Emmaus after the resurrection, the first Easter Sunday morning, uh, afternoon, uh, he's, uh, they said, well, you know, we're confused to what they supposed was a stranger. And uh, we thought the Messiah had come. It's all gone terribly wrong. Oh, you are so slow, he said, to listen, to hear. And starting at Moses, he opened up all the prophets and said, shouldn't the Messiah have come the first time to die? He's going to come back again to rule and reign. 
but they weren't listening. Are we any better? What's the Lord saying to you, to me, as we are moving towards whatever goal the Lord has prepared for us? And for all of us, that goal is ultimately to be with him. Are we listening to what the Lord is saying? I believe we're living in a day when we need to hear what the Lord is saying to the churches. As it said in each of the letters of the seven churches in Revelation, where uh, uh, in each of those seven letters, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And we're in a day when we need to hear the prophetic voice. We need to hear what God is saying to his people. We need to be listening, not just to be cosily enjoying our, 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 our meetings together, as important as those things are. And I like, uh, like fellowship too. But are we listening to what, is the, what, what, what the Lord is saying to us as a generation in a day when the world is seemingly almost collapsing in on itself, when the signs of the times that we were told to watch out for are becoming more and more relevant, the Middle East in particular, are we hearing what God is saying? Or are we just battening down the hatches and just hoping the signs will go away? (laughs) The Lord is speaking. We need to hear what he's saying. We need to listen and not to be so full of just our own presuppositions. They thought that they were going to enter into the kingdom immediately, and it wasn't to be. We can save ourselves an awful lot of heartache when we first listen. Prayer, as we've, uh, <clears throat> I've certainly shared with you before here, the prayer is, is a two-way conversation. It's not just speaking to God, it's listening to God. The still, small voice. And I believe God is waiting for us to hear what he's saying by terms, in terms of our ministry, in terms of our personal walk, in terms of his words to the world. We are those who are to declare God's word to the people round about. The watchman on the wall, as I've just shared with some of you in a, in a, in a study I've just sent out. We're here to tell the world, thus says the Lord. Is the church really listening? Jesus said, You should be listening. I'm telling you something that's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. But they weren't listening. And it still came as an enormous surprise, a shock to them when they got there. In Amos chapter 3 verse 7 we read, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. We need to hear so that we can declare a day of judgment is coming. The world is heading for God's wrath. And we are the ones with that message. And we need to hear it first of all. So that's the first uh, of these four lessons as they were on their journey up to Jerusalem. We must listen. They had to listen too. Secondly, we must think. We must think. So here's the mother of Zebedee's sons. Possibly, possibly the uh, sister of Mary. She was at the cross, and um, uh, she, was, uh, she was there when, uh, uh, when uh, um, Jesus was being crucified. And uh, that was, um, uh, I'm just trying to remember his, uh, her name there. <laughs> I've just lost it for the moment. And uh, the, the um, yes, it, uh, Mary's, uh, Mary's sister was there, the mother of uh, James and John. 
the, um, the, the uh, wife of Zebedee. And she comes along and she says, I, I, I want to ask a favor of you. And the Lord has to say when she, gave, uh, when she asked him, you don't know what you're asking for. You're not listening and therefore you're not thinking straight. You're not really cottoning on to what I'm saying. You're not thinking, listen, if you want to follow me, if you want to, uh, to, to share with me, can you go through the same problems I've gone through? Can you drink of the same cup? Can you live the same sort of life? Can you face the same persecution? Can you go through the same trials as I'm going through? Mm. You don't know what you're asking for. You've got to think of the cost. Think of the cost of standing up for me. Jonathan mentioned in one of his prayers just now, Many, many Christians in the world today who are really paying the price for the love of Jesus. Are we really thinking through what we believe? How much it's costing us? What our responsibilities are as God's people, the mouthpiece of the Lord in a very, very lost world? Are we thinking through the, uh, the, the implications of Scripture? Uh, and, and so on. The Lord said, you must think. You don't know what you're asking for. We're in spiritual warfare. We're going through times when we really are in a battle situation. Uh, has it dawned on us? Are we really thinking through the cost of following Jesus? And uh, sometimes in the church today, I feel that we're not really thinking. We just want to enjoy the emotion. We just want to put up with all the lovely bits. That we want to enjoy the, 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 the lovely things that are going on instead of really saying, what's the responsibility? Uh, how do I uh, uh, see the scripture and the implications uh, of what the Lord is saying about uh, the end of the age, the times in which we live? You don't know what you're asking. Can you go the same way? And Jesus said to the disciples very clearly, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If I'm being uh, uh, ridiculed by the world, they're going to ridicule you as well. You know, I just want to encourage some of you that may be finding real problems in the family or at work. And, and, and you're, having to, you're really having to pay the cost of following Jesus. And it's not easy. And the Lord said, no, that, that, that is the cost. That, that is how it's going to be. I want you to realize that. And I want you to know that I'm with you. And I will not for forsake you. I will not abandon you. But being a Christian is not just a bed of roses. I want you to think through the cost of following me and being a disciple. And the rewards come from Father who loves you and who will see what you've put up with just to be my disciple and to follow me. So we have to think very carefully through the things that confront us and face us uh, and, and the issues that we have. I was, I, I'll give you a personal example of this. Uh, in Bridgewater, where I live, uh, we have a, 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 a three times a year meeting for church leaders. It's called the Church Leaders Forum. I don't often go. It's right across the board of all the, the Christian denominations. And... Uh, <coughs> I've got good reasons that I don't normally go. 
The guy that leads this, one of our Anglican vicars in Bridgewater, he's a, a very firm evangelical, um, and when he sent out the round-robin email to remind us of the date of the, of the one just two weeks ago, um, he said, I would like everyone to make an effort to be there if we can. Because one of our local ministers uh, has just agreed to conduct a same-sex wedding in his church. And he realized that a, a lot of us were quite concerned about the implications for the church in, in our town. So he said, we really need to consider this matter. Not to dis uh, debate the rights and wrongs of it, but how is it affecting us? How is it going to alter our fellowship with other churches? Uh, and, and particularly the church which has agreed to do this. And uh, as we had that meeting, I went there. As we had that meeting, it, it, was, it was quite amazing. Out of 25 church leaders that were there, all together, there were only six of us that said we couldn't go along with that. Where, where's the thinking going on in the church? Where's the implications of, of, of what's happening? Uh, and, and, and so many of the rest were just wanting to drift along with the attitudes of society. The predominant attitude was, uh, well, God's a God of love, and uh, you know we have to accept all these relationships and so on. Many of them said, yes, we, we're really supporting that minister that's made that decision. He's broken through a, a barrier, and we've got to follow him. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Are people thinking through the word of God and the implications for living in a day where the present morality of the day is moving far, far away from the word of God? Are we thinking or is it just, as so many of them were saying, well, we've all got to be happy together on this. It's all fellowship together. Oh, dear. Where, is, where, where are we making a stand? The Lord said, can you share my cup? Can you take the pressure of standing for me in a heathen generation? And uh, that was part of what the Lord had to say to them. Thirdly, we must uh, serve. We must serve us... Um, 24 to 28. The other ten heard about this. They were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their higher officials exercise authority of them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Your slave? That's rather, <laughs> rather stern, isn't it? Uh, and... and the church is a different model to businesses in the world or governments in the world. And, and the gifting we have within the church is not to make us higher and better than others, it's to make us better servants than others. And the gifting we have is to serve one another. It's a completely different model, but how often today in the church we're trying to model the church on corporations outside, businesses or, or, or governments and, and having a hierarchy and so on instead of realizing that as we meet together this is the words of the Lord we're just here to bless each other to serve one another to hold each other as better than ourselves I come amongst you not to lord it over you this morning I just trust that the Lord will say something through me I've come here as your servant I've come here to bring you the word of God and I do it because I love you and that should be the attitude, I believe. We're here to serve each other. We're here to glorify our Lord.
and in humility and with grace, we're here to consider each one better than ourselves. It's a different model altogether. And the Lord is saying that's how the church should be. But how many problems do we have within the churches because of leadership problems and uh, people wanting to uh, have more status or more respect? (laughs) If you're going to be a slave, you haven't got much respect. Not from those who don't appreciate what you do. And that's the reason why we're here as the church, as the body of Christ. We're here just to bless one another. What can I do to bless you, brother, sister? How can I just get alongside you? Is there anything else you'd like me to do? And that is from the people with the highest responsibilities. We're here to serve one another. And so the Lord reminded them that on the journey towards our Jerusalem, we must serve. And then finally, we must see or we must look. In verse 29 to 34, we had these two blind men on the road up to Jerusalem from Jericho. And uh, the, the crowd didn't want them to see. <laughs> the crowd rebuked them, told them to be quiet. They shouted all the, la- all the louder. We want to see. We want to have our sight. Oh, I just pray this morning all of our cry will be, Lord, we want to see. I just jotted down seven things here as I was preparing this. Uh, we... Uh, um, that, that we might want to see. First of all, we would see Jesus. Yeah, we've come here to see each other. We've come here to enjoy being together on a Sunday morning. But above all, we want to see the Lord high and lifted up. We want to see Jesus in all his glory. And uh, well, that's my second point. We'd like to see his glory as well. We want to see Jesus. We want to see his glory. It's not just the feeling of the Lord's presence with us, for he walks with us and he talks with us along life's narrow way. But Lord, we want to see your glory. We want to see you demonstrating amongst your people the greatness, the power, the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be moved. We want to be really changed. Lord, we want to see your glory. We're not just going through religious observances. We're not fulfilling some system of rules and regulations. Lord, we, we, you're the, the dearest one in our hearts. Lord, you're the one that we love more than anything else. And Lord, we want to be touched. We want to see your glory. We want to feel your presence. We want to know the Shekinah presence amongst us. We want to see his glory. Thirdly, we want to see with spiritual eyes. Oh, we've all been trained in the ways of the world. We've all been educated. We've immersed in the world's values and standards. But, Lord, give us a deeper spiritual understanding of what you're doing and what's going on. Lord, help us to be spiritual people in a newer and a deeper way, Lord. We want to see with spiritual eyes. Lord, we want to see what's really going on behind the scenes. We want to know what you're really doing in this world. Lord, give us a spiritual understanding. We would see the signs of the times. Lord, what is it all about? There was a picture in the Times newspaper on the Tuesday, on the Wednesday after Easter, about a conference, a, a summit that was held in Turkey, in Ankara. And the three leaders of Russia, Putin, of Turkey itself, Erdogan, 
and of uh, Iran, Persia, the Ayatollah. They were there together having a summit to discuss how they're going to deal with the Middle East from now on. So I read Ezekiel 38. That's exactly the nations that are coming together in Ezekiel 38, <laughs> uh, uh, prophetically. And there they were, pictured in, the, uh, in, in their, public, uh, their publicity release. And I don't think, I never heard anything more about it in the media. But the picture was in the Times newspaper, and I thought, Lord, what's going on in this world? We want to see the signs of the times. And a week or so later, the defense correspondent of the same newspaper was saying that the next war could be imminent, and it'll be between Iran and Israel. And uh, a lot depends this week on the decision that Trump makes as to whether he's going to take uh, to, to renegade on the deal with Iran. I don't know the rights and wrongs of that. But uh, people are saying, have you noticed the world is using terms like apocalyptic more than the churches? They seem to be understanding that the world is heading for all sorts of disaster. And it may not just be military warfare, it'll be cyber warfare. I don't know whether any of you belong to the TSB Bank. <laughs> You've had a lot of problems this uh, tender. And uh, again, somebody writing, a journalist writing, showed that if that was to happen on the wider scale, our whole way of life could collapse just like that. We want to see what is happening with the signs of the times. Lord, we are the people that need to be aware, and we are the people who have a word to say. We're, we want to see, Lord, the signs of the times that you're pointing out to us. We would see the hand of God. We want to see God's hand moving. We want to see what God is doing and what God is saying. My own belief is that the passing of Billy Graham just a little while ago was the marking symbolically of the end of an era, a great era of evangelism since the Second World War. Think of all the kids we used to have in Sunday schools, the youth clubs, all the evangelists and so on in the 50s and the 60s, 70s. Even Billy Graham in Mission England in 1984. Not happening now. Lord, we want to see your hand at work. Lord, we want to see the hand of God. Lord, show us, please, what you're doing. And may your people be ready to not only see, but then to declare what God is up to. We would see, Lord. We would see the truth. Lord, we don't want your book, the Bible, just to be a sort of a magic book. <laughs> Lord, we don't want to treat it as a sort of with a superstition. Lord, we want to know the truth because here is the truth of the whole world from the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, right through to the end, from eternity to eternity. This is the book that declares it. Lord, we want to understand the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to see how it all gets together, Lord, because there are so many false prophets today. There are so many false ideas. Lord, we want to know the truth of your word. We want to know the truth about Israel today, Lord. We want to know the truth about your purposes for the kingdom. We want to know the truth, Lord, about your purposes for the judgment at the end of the age. The disciples asked him, what are the signs of your, the end of the age? And the Lord told them. Lord, we want to see the truth. And then seventhly, we would see his salvation. Oh, Lord, even while we wait, Lord, we want open eyes. <laughs> Lord, we want to be able to see your salvation. Lord, the days may be short. The time is drawing to a close. The end of the age is almost upon us, Lord. But we want to see your salvation. 
It's the only answer to the human need. Lord, we want to see sinners suddenly saying, what must I do to be saved? And in case there's anybody here and you're not truly born again, we'd love to see you come to the Lord this morning and give your heart to him. He died to save you. We want to see God's work in your life. We want to see you transformed by the power of God, that redeeming grace, that saving power, the Lord Jesus, whose arm is not shortened, that he cannot save. And this morning is your opportunity to see the salvation of God, for it is still the day of salvation, if you've never seen him before. And so the Lord, he wants us to listen. He wants us to, uh, to, to think. He wants us to serve. And he wants us to see as we go on our journey <laughs> toward the destiny that God has appointed for us. May the Lord bless you as you walk with Jesus in his name. Amen. Our closing hymn, which Jonathan has chosen, I think it's, uh, I haven't got it.